You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse from across the United States, here's your hosts. Welcome to Earful of Dirt. We are live. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We are the Major League Rugby Podcast, and I completely screwed up the intro because I've been off for a week and my mind is elsewhere. <laughs> I'm Corey Munson, coming to you live from Des Moines, Iowa. I'm joined, as always, by Aaron Castro down in Arizona and Liam Madigan-Fried in Houston, Texas. Josh Fredland is over in the comments section, so be sure to hit him up with your thoughts and questions during the show. So, guys, uh, how's the last couple of weeks been? Did I miss anything? Oh, oh. Well, you apparently need to be in a padded room because that echo <laughs> is trash. Yeah, um, right. So, yeah, we'll try so to get that fixed for next week. If we're selecting all MLR first fifteen Game of Thrones style, are you going to go with Arya because she got the bad skills, or are you going to go with Cersei because she's a straight witch? I my mind trailed off after after you said Arya, you know, uh, for obvious reasons. Because <laughs> <laughs> sorry, what, what what were we talking about, man? Uh... We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're we're selecting first team scrum half. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Arya or Cersei? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'll, I'll always gotta go with Arya. She'd be a great scrum half. I mean, she's got knives. She's got stuff. I mean, she's even, uh, I think even with Cersei being, you know, some crazy lady, um, that Arya is probably going to take her head off. So we're going to go. I mean, um, all, all Arya has to do is cut Jamie's face off and head into the capital and it's over for Cersei. So mid, uh, mid adult uh, pleasantries. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> So I want to thank you everybody for joining us for uh, the Game of Thrones podcast this week. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, as far as the week went, uh, it it went. Um, but I slammed some freaking sushi on Thursday night, and then you know I I, I think that's more carbs than I eat in like two weeks usually. So I was I woke up with. You know, not a stomach ache, but like it felt like there was a boulder in my stomach. Like Oof. it took all all day to go away. So, um, but I will say, Asahi—it's a Japanese beer—is great. <laughs> it's it, it's great, but yeah, <laughs> good yeah. to know. Yeah, uh, my week was pretty good with the Sabercats having an away game. I had a little bit of downtime to uh, be able just to watch the game on TV, feeling like a fan for once. Uh, other than that, just Game of Thrones uh, is has been on my mind uh, ever since season, uh, episode one premiered, and so it's good to talk about that with you guys here. Uh, you know, because no nobody else talks about it with me. My roommate doesn't really watch it all that much. So, well, 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 so so let's let's talk about that. Does he tell you that he doesn't watch it? Like, you know, is he one no, of those people? No, that, no, no, no. Okay, no, he's not. Because here's the thing, like, so I've looked at some polls that were done by some sports people on Twitter, where it was like NBA Finals, 
or like NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, or Game of Thrones. What are you watching on Thursday? And you had like massive polls of like 20,000 people casting a vote and 80% for, for Game of Thrones. So if, if people tell you like virtue signal, let's, let's use that term. If people want to, to do that and say they don't watch Game of Thrones, that A, they lying <laughs> um, because if they're going to tell you they lying. Um, B it's, how do you, it's like March madness. How do you, how do you go through life? Not having that one piece of cultural phenomenon in your life, because that's what everyone is talking about at the water cooler the next day. I actually don't really participate in March madness all that much. I'm, I'm from, um, the Northeast where we don't give a fuck about college sports. <laughs> like what are you talking about? Boston college is like, you know, old school, eight old school, big East. Yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I, 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 I love the BC Eagles. I love the Harvard Crimson and everything like that, but it's just, it's, it's, it's just not the sort of fanaticism that you get in like in other parts of the country up in the Northeast. Like there's not this, like you know, whole towns don't shut down on college game game day. You know, like the town of Newton or um, you know Chestnut Hill doesn't shut down when the Eagles are playing a playing a football game. Like life kind of just goes on. Uh, the Patriots, the Red Sox, and the Bruins, however, um, you know the professional teams, they they give us more than enough reasons to be happy. So it's it's like being so let's let's put it this way: it's like being in the Northeast during during the during football season for the NFL and. Uh, the people, somebody that's up there that says, I'm not a Patriots fan. I didn't watch any <laughs> of the games. <sighs> or uh, all these people that uh, I go to school with that don't know what Major League Rugby is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was pretty much my life last year. <laughs> uh, well, we're, we're just happy because we finally have uh, a couch as of today, so... We got a couch at the apartment, so. Oh, so you sold not only your house but your furniture. I. Well, no, the furniture was pretty much um, pretty ragged by the time we were moving out anyway, because uh, it was mostly secondhand to begin with. So, we just kind of ditched it, and yeah, once we got into the new place, are uh, replacing it piece by piece. So. Corey, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, Funny Farm, with Chevy Chase. I, I just kind of imagine the beginning of that movie where Chevy is just kind of, uh, they have to sleep on the hardwood floors because the movers got lost because they couldn't read Chevy Chase's map. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and I, can, I can just see that happening to a simple, you know, just a simple Iowan, you know. <laughs> Put it this way. If I were to pan the uh, camera this way a little bit, uh, you would see the air mattress that my wife and I are still sleeping on. So, you know, piece by piece. How, how do the dogs feel about that? Yeah, they're fine with it. It's a nice mattress as far as air mattresses go. So, by the way, if anybody's keeping up with the earful of dirt drinking game, that's like two or three long-winded conversations that have nothing to do about rugby. A lot. So, start start pounding them back. Uh, and a making fun of Iowa. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. All right. Let's. <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah. As always, uh, for those of you new to the podcast, each Monday night we discuss news, rumors, and all that fun stuff from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union. 
It's a chance to look at the issues, hear from the league, players, and team leadership, and to check in with our friends from across the U.S. rugby scene. Aaron, what are we covering this week? So, Glendale knocked down and bludgeoned by the Legion. New York survives classic Utah. The Sabercats, with reinforcements, still fall. Seawolves survive. Gumbo rugby. Gumbo rugby. All right. So let's start things out with a little uh, Raptors versus Legion action. And uh, oh my, oh my, this was a thumping. That's <laughs> just, a, it's a, just a good old-fashioned shellacking is what it was. <laughs> Uh, Liam, start us off. What's uh, what did you see at this one? No, please, by all means, keep on saying dadisms or whatever the hell <laughs> shellac and kalak and kawak and stuff is. But anyway, I chose they were, Glendale. They were beat down like a redheaded stepchild. <laughs> <laughs> Damn man, dadisms, so, dadisms. <laughs> so I chose Glendale for the sake of a potential tiebreaker when it comes to tallying up picks, and uh, that could not have gone more wrong for me. I was awful in terms of my predictions uh, this week, as you will find out later on in the show. Idiot. Oh, shut up. San Diego is peaking <laughs> at just the right time, where Glendale seems to be faltering in the latter half of the season. San Diego seems to be. Adjusting well enough to the length and uh, schedule just fine. This is one of my hopes that I held out for Houston being like, oh, well, this is their second time playing a whole 16 game schedule. They'll be used to it. No, it didn't work. But San Diego seems to be going through and getting stronger as they go. So definitely big ups to that squad uh, and to coach Rob Holy on getting his team prepared. Uh, when I first read the when I read the first column in the stat report for meters gained, I was kind of surprised. San Diego uh, at 892 meters gained, Glendale at 856. So not a huge disparity there. But then I took a look at the number of passes, and uh, holy crap, San Diego had 124 passes for an average meters per pass of 7.2, while it took Glendale 215 passes for an MPP of 3.9. So there's issue number one right there. Uh, Not a ton of efficiency with the ball in hand, but here's the thing. Glendale is built to overcome that, you might think. Johnny Ryberg, Mika Kruse, uh, Dylan uh, 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 Takato Simpson, all those people can, you know, make up for some of the deficiencies there. But as long as you don't do something stupid like commit 20-plus turnovers in a single game, right? Uh Uh-oh. But anyway, let's talk about some of the guys on the winning team. Mikey Teo, one of my favorite all-time. Two tries, 154 meters at 12.8 meters a pop. This guy is a huge factor for the Legion in their push to secure a playoff spot. Though not only his production, but his leadership on the field as well. This guy's a veteran, uh, you know, tons of caps appearing for the United States on the national stage. He's, a, you know, he's one of the reasons why this team is surging at just the right time. But uh, San Diego actually had not one, not two, but three players actually go over 100 meters uh, in this contest in total. The first, of course, being Mikey Teow. The second and third being Nick Boyer and uh, Vera Malua with 150 and 100 meters gained, respectively. Uh, I had to double check to make sure Boyer wasn't at scrum half at first, because at first I was like, what the fuck? Anyway, Dylan Takato Simpson for Glendale was definitely the highlight player for them. 116 total meters. Johnny Ryberg came. Headlock. Yeah, (laughs) straight up, man. But (laughs) 
<laughs> Ryberg came close to breaking a century in 98 meters gained, but uh, his night, I think, was unfortunately overshadowed by some ill-timed drops uh, in the passing game, which, you know, swung the momentum back the other way. Overall, it was an entertaining enough game, but there was definitely a lot of sloppiness this weekend as a whole. So what do you want to know? Is, is Nate Augsburger becoming better than Sean Davies? Hmm. Well, uh, you know, I've been singing Nate's praises past couple weeks. He had a pretty good game. I will say uh, this debate is going to actually start raging. Uh, overall, their stat lines were very similar. Both of them are athletic. They tackle. They put the ball in play. You know, the the, the goods. They, they are now looking more similar in this season than they, I would say, previously Nate's only – like redeeming characteristic was his athletic carries off the ruck. But this time, you know, he's, his service has gotten better, but I, I will comment on some of that. I think uh, they went a little too slow at the ruck uh, this week and Glendale did try to disrupt that. They got three breakdown steals uh, a few times. Uh, they, they weren't that good to actually do it. Um, they got caught off their feet several times, but they really disrupted and tried to create slow ball. And some of that time, uh, Nate was just trying to burn the clock, at least from what I could tell, because they had uh, under a 50% quick ball um, when it came to their rucks. Um, really interesting game uh, from the fact of a lineup perspective with player rotation due to injury and resting guys. Uh, this this really isn't San Diego's best lineup. But holy moly. So, you know, spoke to Rob Hoadley early last week, and he talked up a lot of his players' development, especially, you know, the loose head props, O.C. Pifaletti and Nate Sylvia. Uh, you know, definitely talked up uh, Savanaka Totovasua, Zatsau, um, which we didn't get to see in this match, uh, I think, due to injury. Uh, we definitely didn't see J.P. Duplessis uh, because of injury, and this that's why we see, you know, Nick Boyer on the wing, uh, for, you know, he, for, for the most part, he, he let players even develop in this game and let them get time. Patty Ryan, uh, came off the bench, uh, after, uh, at the second half, Aaron Mitchell started and, and really did, uh, you know, pretty well against Noah Barker. Uh, overall, uh, I, I really expected more out of Noah Barker. I thought Marco Fepului, Fepulei, uh, played really well against both Mitchell and Ryan, um, but so, so that's the, the battle of the front row. I think, uh, you know, Finolio and, uh, Dean Muir, I mean, they, they both did their things. Uh, when it comes to the Raptors, they're missing a lot of pieces. Uh, I don't know where Casey rock is. I thought he retired, but he is, apparently he was signed for this season. Um, why isn't he? on a match day roster. Is he injured? I want to know. Um, because he would be a true lock that they could put in at five and they would have a real line out option. But right now they don't, they aren't putting, they've got Cody O'Neill coming off the bench and then you've got Brendan Daly playing at six. And uh, I, I guess I would flip Brendan Daly and Luke White, who is shorter and smaller than Brendan Daly uh, and put Luke White at six. And, uh, you know, uh, William Monroe, who came off early in the game, I think at the 30-minute mark uh, for Cody O'Neill, um, I think uh, due to injury, he's a six or a seven. 
Like he's not a or he can play eight. When he played eight for the Glendale Raptors, he had a really good game. Uh so uh, I I don't know what they're doing there. It's really affecting their scrum in this game. I, I don't think it really did much for them. Uh because just of how the player rotation worked for San Diego. Uh, you know, when it, when it came to their transition defense, line-out throwing really it wasn't good. Uh, Josiver Malua stole, a, stole like an overthrown line-out, and their transition defense just sucked, and they, they, they couldn't do anything. Uh, you know, let's, you want to talk about, and this is where you go against, you know, the best tactician on any team in major league rugby. And that's Joe Peterson. Uh, you know, it, if you don't have these small things down, it, it's going to hurt you. So overall, um, looking at San Diego's back row, it went to work. Uh, you know, Saul Mooching, he just continues to grow and grow. Uh, Jordan Manhara, uh, really good. And opposite him, you had 20 carrier carries with, for Murphy Terramine. Uh, but, uh, you know, after that, it was kind of, Hit and miss. Another dominant performance overall by San Diego. Uh, you know, Glendale, you guys got to go to the drawing board. And I'm not saying you got to listen to me. I'm not an expert. But I think not having true locks in the lineup really hurts you. Um, the way the timing on passes affected both Ryberg and uh, Harley-Davidson uh, just really did not help your tempo you know, 21 turnovers. Uh, I will give it to Nick Boyer on the wing. He, he really helped contain Harley Davidson very well and just matched up very, pretty good. Um, uh, Liam talked about meters made and the differential not being that much. Normally, Glib's Glendale and Edge is their ability to just run around and wear you down. Uh, we saw this in the Sabercats game specifically. Uh, it, but Let's talk about the best defense in the league. It really didn't matter what Glendale did. 203 tackles made. That's almost a tackle per pass. That is like 98.5% tackle rate on a pass made by Glendale. What? So, yeah. uh, San Diego's peaking even with injury. That's important to look at. Uh, I think they play, do they play New Orleans next? I think I, it's probably at the bottom and I made a pick and I'm an idiot, but, uh, whoever they play next is they, they're going to need to put their mouthpiece in and clamp down. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, check here in a few minutes as soon as we get down there. So the next match up for the weekend, uh, was, uh, oh, that was a horse of a different color. I'd say it was. We saw uh, Uni, uh, Uni, Uni, Utah travel to Rooney and uh, fall to New York, twenty-two to twenty-four. So this was a real squeaker up in uh, up in Coney Island. Uh, Aaron, why don't you uh, start us off with this one? Um, interesting front row choice by by New York. Really happy for Anthony Perry to get the start. He played really well. Roqueford, come on, man, uh, you have been playing really well really well and at tie head it did not go well important to note tie head and loose head are like completely different positions and hooker and tight head are more similar in how you sort of feel inside the scrum um or maybe franco vandenberg is is just getting more consistent but angus what what is going on with you man um anthony perry 
outscrumbed him. Uh, Don't Patty, he do Don't Patty things. Uh, also, make sure you actually tackle him because he just sort of rolled and Gannon Moore like gave him a push on the tush and he just burst through and scored a try. So that's fun. Um, when I look at Utah's game, New York got lucky. Overall, New York had some good individual play, but as a team, they were very disjointed uh, to my naked eye. Uh, Utah put up a lot of offense. They also, what was the penalty rate on this game? Um, let me look that up. Um, yeah, penalties conceded 12. Turnovers conceded. They actually turned o- turned the ball over less, but when you have like that many penalties, it's always going to ki- kill you. And they had they conceded two free kicks as well. Um, uh, it's you know uh, twenty total penalties in this game, so 12, 12 conceded by Utah, eight conceded by Rooney. Yeah, uh, they had a higher quick ball rate. Uh, one of the things that kills you, uh, yes, even though I. Uh, talked down upon New York scrum. They still beat Utah. Um, they had a hundred percent to 88%. Utah has struggled in the scrum, which, uh, you know, in, in with the way things are being officiated now compared to say five to 10 years ago, it's more of a coin flip, but if you have a powerful platform, it, it really changes things significantly. Um, but based on where we were, Utah was ahead. Um, when Anthony Perry scored that try, there was like 15 minutes of this game just being a snoozer, and I was actually out drooling. So, <laughs> sor- sorry. But when you go handling error, knock on handling error, y- you miss stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, set piece moves for New York, their mall worked very well. Uh, and uh, Utah's, eh, not so much. Yeah. Well, as I'll let people know later on in the show, I can definitely relate in the whole falling asleep right before a game aspect or during a game aspect. But anyway, we haven't had that many crazy upsets in Major League Rugby this year, and I totally thought this was going to be the first. But, you know, I thought that I also thought that about the uh, Sabercats going against Glendale and Toronto and San Diego. Yeah, you get the idea. Anyway, New York, 56% possession rate, 846 total meters with an average meters per pass of 5.7. Utah coming up just a bit behind them with an MPP of 5.1 on 726 total meters. So despite a fast start, this couldn't quite measure up to New York's efficiency with the ball in hand. Not only that, Utah also kind of got in their own way more than once. 11 turnovers, as Aaron uh, mentioned, 13 penalties and two free kicks conceded. When you're trying to upset a potential top four contender, you have to play really disciplined rugby, and Utah came up mad short in that aspect. Uh, When it comes to players, Dylan Fawcett and Connor Wallace-Sims were two people who really impressed me uh, for New York, uh, making 158 and 104 respectively. I really like Fawcett at eight-man. I think it gives him a little bit more of an opportunity to get involved offensively. Uh, when you're a hooker with his ball carrying ability, it kind of feels like you're a fullback in football who can outstrip half the running back depth chart. So I'm, I'm glad um, they moved into, into a spot that he's better utilized uh, back there at the eighth spot. Uh, Utah's Lauti and Uhila, uh, you know, Aaron highlight, highlighted them again, uh, 100 meters, uh, 148 and 120 meters respectively. So both of them breaking the century mark. That's awesome for them. 
Uh, Laudy, even more impressively, his 18.5 meters per carry mark to go along with his try. This guy is a big reason why I say week after week, Utah succeeds in looking good even when they lose. Uh, so this match, you know, as entertaining as you can hope, but I feel like New York should be a little bit more in control at this point against bottom of the table competition, especially if they want to make a shot or a legitimate run of the title uh, by the end of the, by the end of the season. What the, the, the title for the wooden spoon? What are, what are <sighs> the wooden spoon? Das wooden spoon. Um, you, you, you have to lose to win the wooden spoon. But. Yeah. Uh, New, New York's not going to be winning the wooden spoon. No, I'm pretty sure Austin has that one uh, yeah. locked down. So the uh, third game of the weekend, um, Liam, why do we keep putting you first on, uh, on on these games? I don't know, man. I don't know, but I'll take it. It's painful. Uh, Houston traveled to Toronto and uh, fell 21 to 35. Now I will say, uh, and I feel like I've said this before, this one was uh, pretty close for quite a while until – you know, about the about the third or fourth quarter when really Toronto st- stepped up and just kind of took over. So, yeah, Liam, go ahead, man. Yeah, well, F me, right? So one thing about Houston is that they tend to fall off right in the second half, uh, which they did, but the cliff this week at least wasn't as steep as it usually is. Uh, a few mistakes here and there is ultimately what allowed the momentum to swing Toronto's way uh, and cost us the game. Still, they definitely showed some instances of improvement uh, you know, on the line speed. This issue, the issue is that it, the improvement isn't coming fast enough at a, at a stage of the season uh, where most of the top teams are peaking. Uh, like we were talking about, San Diego is better than they've been all season. Uh, Houston is, is, is kind of getting to a point where I wish they had been like you know four or five games in. But hey, whatever, some improvement is better than no improvement. Uh, one huge issue. Uh, that dogged this team was a lack of points off penalties. Three occasions they were able to kick for touch uh, either at or inside the Toronto 22, and they came up with nothing each time in terms of points. So on top of that, the Cats conceded 13 penalties on their own, which even alongside alongside Toronto's 10 was just too much to overcome. So so Uh, why why didn't Windsor kick sticks? Because... You know, I don't know. Um, like, here's the thing. I know for a fact that Fitzy has been putting a bigger emphasis on just kicking for sticks and taking the points. And sometimes, you know, I, I know there I was think... a penalty. There was a penalty early on where he could have. They could have kicked sticks, and they didn't take it. And they went to the set piece, and they lost the ball. So, um, yep. I mean, hey man, should should have, would have, could have. Uh, you know, sometimes I think there's a. You know, I think the I think it might be fair to say there's a. Uh, I like, like, you know, not miscommunication, but uh, just like a difference in op- opinion it, about what's the best. So here's the question. Could that be a difference in who was captain on the day? Because Luke Beauchamp was captain and previously it had been Matt Truville. So maybe they had different philosophies. I don't know. Like uh, statistically speaking, we could really dig into that. But it was just interesting because earlier on in the season, like there has been such a propensity to where, uh, you know, you Houston would kick sticks. And, you know, we saw it in a different game, which we'll get to, in that, well, they kicked sticks like six times in the Seattle game. Mm-hmm. And it definitely could have, definitely could have made it. 
I don't think it would have made the difference. They weren't given that many opportunities by Toronto, but it definitely could have made the game a little bit more closer, potentially bringing them to within a reasonable range to get the bonus point for losing by less than seven. Um, definitely worth noting in this game how aggressive uh, Toronto was at the breakdown, managing three steals off the counter ruck. Uh, that should just be easy ball security for the Sabre Cats, but instead it's just more scoring opportunities for the arrows. So that's another knock that you can definitely find with Overall, Houston had the had a uh, 54% possession advantage, 600 total meters gained for an average MPP of 3.9. Toronto, 420, yeah, gained off 83 passes for an average MPP of 5. So not a ton of movement for Toronto, but it was those mistakes by Houston, particularly those last two scores in the second half, is what really gave Toronto the edge. Uh, for the Cats, uh, Jameson, Fa'ananana, Schultz uh, definitely stood out. 74 meters for 5.6 meters per carry. Uh, but when you talk about guys who really uh, made a mark for the Houston Sabercats, Pat O'Toole, uh, one mad nice guy. Shout out to Pat, dude. You know I love you. Uh, he was an animal all around the ball, got himself a try to go along with 70 total meters gained. He's the Cats' own version of Dylan Fawcett, I think is a really good comparison uh, to how he plays his game when he's at the hooker spot. And he can hurt you with the ball or with the tackle, which we saw uh, both examples of on that night. Uh, Toronto, none a ton of... <clears throat> Not a lot, uh, very flashy in the box scores. Uh, Kyona Lloyd led the team with 63 meters gained. Meanwhile, the Ayers put down five tries by five separate people. So that's pretty darn freaking impressive. Uh, Toronto needed this win to keep their playoff hopes realistic. But ultimately, I have my doubts about their chances against teams with a greater ability to finish. So, Aaron, I know you, you were saying a few weeks ago that you could see Toronto fighting for that final four spot uh, with all those home games coming up. I still disagree. I think Toronto is going to be looking at that, you know, that sixth spot as long as Houston is uh, occupying the seven and Utah's occupying the eight. Uh, I mean, uh, they're they're still alive. That is, that is a fact. Uh, but I mean, uh, yeah, they're did, still alive. Like did some work. Know. Did some work uh, last week with the MLR kickoff, and it, it really doesn't look like they will make it. They they are going to need some help. Mathematically, they're still alive, but they have to basically. They have to win out the rest of the way, uh, because and we. This is where hmm, win loss record versus bonus points matters. You know, um, one of the things that we've seen is even if New Orleans uh, falters a bit more, they've secured so many bonus points that they are a playoff team. Like they're not going to fall off. Like uh, I think you need. We project, projected like 52, 53 bonus points, and New Orleans has 45. So New Orleans is in. So that means the other teams that are ahead, uh, you know, like would have to falter as well. And I, I don't see that happening, especially with San Diego. I think San Diego is going to surge, and they're going to continue like snagging bonus point wins and they will probably be your number one seed just the way their form is. Mm. But um, you, Would you bet on that with San Diego being the number one seed by, by, by the end? What? Like, we we uh, have a lot of NOLA fans as listeners, man. I mean, um, what? Uh, San Diego ain't paying me anything, man. Like, at least for NOLA, I got some – I got a shirt, man. Like, so <laughs> Wait, I, I've, uh, Aaron, I, I, I thought San Diego was your favorite team. What? Adrian, for giving yeah, me some of your uh, – Oh, my God. You're a correspondent for uh, NOLA. Oh, for, for, uh, San Diego last year. Uh, 
yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, if they want to, if San Diego wants to show some love, or the or the fans, the supporters group, the the cohort, if they want to show some love to the show and send some some send some kit, it will be displayed. But uh, as far as like stuff that's cool, um, I mean, I, I've like half the season or quarter of the season that we've been online this year, I've repped NOLA because, well, I have some NOLA stuff, but uh, that's how this works. Sports karma. You want to be on the show? Um, Utah. Thank you. Um, you uh, you got to send it in. Um, but no, I'm not a, I'm a fan of players, but I'm not a fan of theirs um, at the moment, unless they relocate to Phoenix. Don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So um, onto the game. Uh, you know, I figured that fitness and mistakes would be the end of Houston here. Uh, it, it sort of was a classic Houston game to where they're able to put together some some stuff and score some points, and that's that's kind of how I saw it. It wasn't really flashy. I uh, so hmm. Liam, you could you you watch so much SaberCats film, so you could probably uh, look at this for like tell me. So I looked at. Palamo, and every time he had the ball, he's a powerful carrier. But I did think that he got contained pretty well. But I also don't think that he wasn't given the opportunity to carry enough based on the way the Sabercats attack was going, if that made sense. Uh, I sort of said this earlier on in the season that they just needed to feed Vithi because he was so much powerful than the people who would be looking to tackle him. And I sort of looked at it the same with Palama. Uh, it, it is, it is what it is uh, there. You know, it, it's kind of interesting a, a bit. If you think about this game, it sort of reminded me of the Houston versus Glendale game where Houston just shot out uh, ahead, uh, except that instead of continuing their scoring, uh, you know, in this case, Houston would be Glendale. Uh, instead of continuing their scoring and playing good defense in the second half, they scored a try and then just, I mean, couldn't do much. And uh, Toronto, non-flashy, uh, scored a try uh, with Mike Shepard and Kainoa Lloyd uh, off the bench, uh, you know, did some things where people are wondering how he hasn't, uh, like, that the arrows are so deep that Kainoa Lloyd's able to come off the bench. Uh, and, you know, he put it away for them with their fifth try of the game. Um, you know, just like I said, Houston's playing disjointed. I, you know, maybe maybe let's tighten up instead of playing, a, you know, out of a one three two two and just get simple and play a two four two. And you know, just bludgeon. I mean, sort of use that pack a bit, like the way it's been used in bludgeon teams. And then, you know, a lot of ball movement, a lot of ball movement. Um, Pat O'Toole, like you mentioned, he just continues to show me that he's, he's ready for the next step. He is captured. He is not capped. He played in the America specific challenge for the USA selects. So he is on the deep, the, the depth chart for uh, hookers uh, for the Eagles, but man, we are like 10 deep, which sucks. Cause I really want to see him called up for the PNC and get a cap. Um, but apparently, uh, the best way to get a cap 
as a hooker right now is to also be able to play flanker in case something happens. Can he play flanker? Uh, I mean, I I could realistically see Pat playing flanker. Uh, He might not be tall. He might not be that tall. I mean, like, but I mean, then again, like he, he's not that much shorter than Cecil, so I mean, it's it's kind of a joke because uh, the first match that Capiel uh, Capelli Piffoletti uh, got capped, he was inserted at flanker. So, yeah. Um, but uh, Tor- Toronto dictated tempo early. Scrum well went up twenty-one to zero. But then I have no idea overall what happened. Sabercats spoke up, uh, woke up, and they started to scrum well on turf. Scored twenty-one straight points, and then you know Toronto's two scores to close out the match. It was it, it wasn't the best game. It wasn't even the most exciting. So yeah, yeah, it was what it was. It was it was a Houston game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last game of the weekend, Sunday night, closed out. Um, it was a late one for uh, us here in central part of the country. Um, yeah, so Nola traveled up to Seattle and uh, must have ate a little too much fish because they had that uh, fish oil fingers working for them. Uh, a lot of folks I know were talking, and Aaron, you commented about this on uh, Twitter, uh, or maybe it was Reddit. Um, a lot of folks were calling this the game of the weekend. Um, and I, I suspect you kind of feel a little differently about that. Um, Nola did fall to Seattle 24 to 25. Um, I mean, they, they were in it to the very end. It was, it was a close one. Um, so Aaron, talk us through what happened. I don't know. I, I, I looked at this game and I, I guess I'm, I have the opposite opinion of a lot of people. I didn't think the intensity level was there. Uh, between the the most intense match, the two most intense matches of the season, and then you could say the third, two of them involved San Diego. San Diego versus the Seawolves when they won up at Starfire, the second game of the uh, the home and away, and see San Diego's game against New York. Like those were the two most physically intense games of the season. Not some some of the quality in that New York game really wasn't there, but like it felt like you could feel it through the television that it was like professionals battering each other. And the other really great quality game uh, was Seattle versus Glendale to open up the season at Starfire. Uh, you know when I, when I see the stats, it, it looks better to me than it looked on television. Um, the defense has played very well. Uh, there were only five line breaks uh, made for uh, Seattle and only four for Nola. So that says a lot. If you look at, uh, you know, the kind of offense uh, that happened, I would sort of call it a Glendale game because Glendale, like they put up a lot of offense and they still lost. But the difference is here is really one penalty, one less turnover. They probably score or uh, <clears throat> one more conversion kick. They probably win. Um, uh, it, it tail, uh, you know, the the the, the goal boys are gonna be mad, man. Uh, you know, it turned the ball over fourteen times, conceded eight penalties to nine turnovers and five penalties to the Seawolves. Seattle chose to kick sticks quite often in this one. Not sure why it was an overall good strategy. It did yield the W, but man, it, it got dicey very late. 
for the Seawolves when, you know, they scored that last, when the gold scored that last try and then got the ball back, uh, you know, on the restart. Um, but here's an interesting stat. Uh, Seattle won 100% of their scrums. New Orleans, 71%. Uh, this has sort of been a weak spot for them uh, throughout the season, but everything as a team, they've really been to over, able to overcome that. Uh, let's look at some tackles made, man. Uh, the back row of, of of Seattle. Tucker, 26. Penny, 24. Riker, 12. 62 total tackles between those three out of 227. So this really taught just that defense played by played by Seattle. It, it felt, I guess, taken in all this context, it, it was like the seawall game from last year when Vili Tolutau just went off and I think it was 27 tackles. Uh, so that that's tasty. Um, Scott, still, Scott Gale going out early really didn't help Nola. Uh, Howden did play pretty well at 10, but Gale is just is a different guy, and he's been there 10 almost all of the season. Uh, Nick Feeks had stepped in previously for a start at fly half, but he went to wing, and Howden came in from center with uh, Blewett going into uh, outside center. Uh, for Seattle, I, I think they're suffering a bit Overall, without Tiberio, uh, missing just a second super dynamic wing. Sequoia Burke Combs has a very high work rate. He has been putting a heck of a lot of minutes, 80 minutes this week. Great fitness, but he's not the same finisher. Uh, Nola. And then what, one of the things that there was an injury to uh, Shalom Sunula, who went off for an HIA. He didn't come back. Uh, and who else came on? Cause I think Roland came on, but, uh, you know, Brock Stoller played outside center from the rest of that game. And, uh, you had Dion Crowder playing, uh, the right wing and it just wasn't the same as for them as what they were able to do deep, uh, in the first half compared to what they did in the second half following those changes. Uh, you know, I think really Nola started playing their best uh, when the wings on the pitch were Dion and Sequoia. That's how it seemed. So, you know, all of Nola's losses are by two points or less. So, yeah. Liam. Sorry, I, I yep, forgot to unmute my microphone. So as I hinted at earlier in the show, uh, I actually did not – I wasn't able to catch this game. I fell asleep after watching Game of Thrones, and uh, I was just—I was really busy today, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I wasn't able to uh, watch the replay. But anyway, some quick stats for you guys: um, Nola, fifty-eight percent possession advantage, one thousand uh, and twenty-one meters gained at four point two meters per carry, over two hundred and twenty passes, so tons of volume for the Nola attack. Still, fourteen turnovers is. Um, you know, I think that's been a consistent problem for the goal this season. And, uh, you know, and especially in some of the more poor performances this season. Uh, some plays to highlight. Tristan Blewett, 132 total meters gained. Um, he's continuing a potential MVP campaign, in my opinion. Uh, right alongside J.P. Eloff, who had himself 110 total meters on the day to go along with his uh, all of his team conversions and penalties. So that's uh, that's my... All right. 
Well, thank you for that, Liam. Uh, I believe he's having uh, some technical difficulties uh, with his microphone right now. So, uh, well, there's, a, there's a cat in the next room that apparently is, well, needs to stop meowing. <laughs> okay, so it's that special time of the night where we get to go back through um, all of our hits and misses from last week and uh, review. So um, I guess I'll just buzz on through here, especially since Liam's going to take care of uh, the issues on his end. Um, Josh was kind enough to jump in last week for me while I was moving, and uh, so I'll go ahead and read his scores in, in place of my own since I didn't make any guesses last time. First game, uh, we had uh, the Raptors at San Diego, and that one came in at uh, 46 San Diego, 15 Raptors. Aaron, you had San Diego by seven. Uh, Liam had uh, Glendale by three, and Josh had San Diego by two. So I think everybody thought this was going to be a much closer game than it was. The second game of the weekend uh, saw Utah traveling to Rooney, and uh, everybody guessed this one right, but I think everybody thought this one was going to be more of a blowout than it was. So, Aaron, you had Rooney by 10. Uh, Liam had Rooney by 8, and Josh had Rooney by 15. Uh, traveling for Houston at Toronto, uh, the final score there was 35-21 to 21 in Toronto's favor. Uh, Aaron, you had Toronto by 15, so you were almost right there. So close. Uh, Liam had it as a draw, and Josh had it as Toronto by 20. And the final game of the weekend saw... Uh, this was the this was the close one. This was uh, Nola at Seattle, twenty four to twenty five. Seattle winning, and everybody thought this was going to be a good game. Uh, Aaron, you had Seattle by three, so once again you were closest with the win there. Uh, Liam had Nola by five, and Josh had Nola by five. With all that said, Aaron, tell us where that takes us to in the standings. Alrighty then. So. Uh, still atop the standings. They were going to be still atop the standings anyways because bonus points. Uh, New Orleans, 45 table points at 8-3. and three. So we're finally seeing wins sort of dictating everything because the top four all have eight wins. Uh, San Diego at second with at 8-2-1. and one. They have the craziest point differential that is probably just going to get higher at plus 115. Uh, in 41 table points, uh, they hold the tiebreaker with win-loss differential over uh, the Seattle Seawolves, who is at third at 8-3 eight, eight and three with 41 table points. Uh, Rugby United New York is at 8-2. and two with 37 table points. So in theory, they do have a better record than everyone, but guess what? They ain't been getting in bonus points. Uh, the Glendale Raptors are at fifth with 33 table points. They're five, four, and two. Uh, you know, if you're a win-loss American like me, uh, the Glendale Raptors were at two for a while because of all the bonus points they have, but they are they're struggling right now. Um Toronto Arrows at six at five and five with a bonus much needed bonus point win, uh, 29 table points. And then, you know, tied up sort of, uh, but with the win loss 
differential in favor of the Sabercats at 7th at 2-8, and eight, 11 table points. And Utah, 1-8-1 with 11 table points. And Austin, they were idle this last week. Uh, I guess last two weeks, really. And they still have four table points. So here's the, here's the weird one um, with this Rooney uh, Raptors thing. That Raptors are only four points behind Rooney right now, and yet they've got a five and four record. I mean, you can see a situation where if Rooney loses the game and the Raptors win with a bonus point, they jump ahead of Rooney uh, on the in the standings. Which would just suck. <laughs> I mean, so 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 they win with a bonus point, right? If if New York doesn't get two losing bonus points, they drop. That's a crazy. It's a crazy scenario to think of, but I really don't. I, I, well, we'll get to that. The way Seattle's or the way uh, Raptors are playing right now, I don't see it as much of a uh, possibility. But that being said, yeah. Stranger things have happened. So let's get to our predictions. We got week 14 coming up. Uh, first game of the weekend is on Friday night at 9 p- 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And somehow that just disappeared on us. Uh, come back. Uh, anyway, uh, it is uh, Liam, did you, uh, can you hit uh, undelete or something? There we uh, thank you. Okay. Yeah, my, my bad. I, w- I was trying to scroll down, and then, like, I think I put too much pressure on, like, my freaking mouse pad, and then I hate technology. <laughs> That's all good, brother. Okay, so Rooney, well, here we go. Speaking of, Rooney is traveling to Glendale. It's 9.30 p.m. Eastern on, uh, this is the game of the week on CBS Sportsnet. Uh, one of two games of the week, uh, excuse me. And, uh, Aaron, you start us off with your prediction. All right, so I think it's actually going to be closer than y'all think. Uh, uh, New York is traveling to altitude, and if they do it right, they're going to get in late on Thursday and do that. Well, yeah, get in late on Thursday and get in and out. Uh, However, based on the way the Raptors are playing. I'm going to give New York the edge just a little bit. New York minus five. Uh, you know, the Raptors looked dead in the water against San Diego, and New York didn't look dead in the water against San Diego, if that's my <laughs> my measuring stick. Yeah, even with the altitude, I'm going to be going with Rooney on this one. Rooney minus seven. I think they're just the more complete team at this point of the season. And, uh, you know, there's just too much tape on the Raptors at this point to not exploit, you know, to be able to exploit all the holes that they have available. Yeah, and I just don't feel like the Raptors are the Raptors this year. Um, So I'm going to go Rooney uh, by 17. I'm going to go big on this one. Uh, Next up, uh, also on CBS at 8 p.m. Saturday, April 27th, is uh, Austin Elite traveling to Utah. So this is a battle for the bottom here. Uh, Aaron, what do you think? Uh, I mean, Utah win, but it's, I mean, it's not going to be overall convincing, but a converted try, so Utah minus seven. Liam? 
So I'm going to go uh, Utah minus 14 on this. I think Utah has a you know a greater ability to put the pedal to the metal, especially in the second half. Um, I don't trust Austin to not completely fall off um, you know towards the 50 or 60th minute. Well, I'm going to go ahead and go with Austin on this one just because they got to win sometime, one would think. So why not this weekend? I don't know. I'm just saying Austin by three. Uh, on Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus, we have got Seattle Seawolves traveling to Toronto. Aaron, what you got on this one? Uh, so I think the Arrows are going to have enough. They're healthy uh, overall compared to Seattle. Uh, they, they're going to have a better scrum um, from that standpoint than the New Orleans Gold did. Uh, and it's at home. And they're coming off a win. I, I think they're in a good place, but I also think that Seattle could win this. So, but so I'm going to give the home side a, a small edge. Toronto minus three. Liam, so I'm going to go with uh, Seattle on this one. I'm going to go Seattle minus eleven. I don't think, uh, I, as I said earlier, I, I find it kind of suspect that Toronto can't really close out a game uh, against a team that's a little bit more suited to go a full 80 minutes. Uh, you know, nothing against my beloved Sabercats, but I, I don't see Toronto being able to match up with a team that's a little bit more suited in the top four. So, yeah, I'm going to go double digits on this one. And uh, as I've been saying all, all season, every time I bet against Seattle, I get disappointed. So I'm going to go ahead and go for Seattle on this one by seven. Last game of the weekend, uh, pairs uh, near the top of the board, San Diego, with near the bottom of the board, Houston. Uh, this, is at, this is in Texas at Houston at 7 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Watch. Uh, Aaron, what you got on this one? Game over! San Diego minus 20. Um, that might be not generous enough. Like, uh, it may, I, it might need to be closer to yours. Uh, I'm going to go with Bane will be showing up uh, mid-game to cancel the match. <laughs> so I, I guess if, if yeah, a supervillain shows up to cancel the match, that means Houston does not lose, right? Exactly. It's kind of like Austin uh, getting their game canceled against Toronto. You know, it's like... Can't lose a match if you don't play it. <laughs> well, I'm going. Uh, I'm going. I'm going big on this one. <laughs> I think this might be my biggest one yet this year, and I've had some pretty big double digits on this on these Come games. On, man. I'm saying San Diego by 35. Uh, just yeah, it's not going to be close. Sorry, Liam. All right, it is time for possibly my favorite part of the evening. It's time for questions from Bob. <laughs> All right. Robert Gibbs won. With Austin being the first team to play all their home games and finishing with an average crowd of just 894, what do you think can be done to try to boost uh, try and boost these numbers for next season? Uh, Circuit of the Americas, uh, where the Austin Bold play, in theory, is apparently much more palatable to the Austinites. Uh, their, their haute couture feelings. It's sort of like being on the West Bank if 
you're uh, if you're in NOLA, uh, people think that the trek to Shaw Field is insane, and somehow moving just to the other side of the river is uh, you know better. So uh, I I don't know. I, I think let's just do it. Uh, let's do it at the the UT Soccer Complex next to Daryl K Royal, which would allow you to walk to Sixth Street two blocks away. Somebody needs to do this for a test because. When you marketed Austin, but it's in Round Rock, I was like, <clears throat> "Yeah, I was just gonna say, define a venue that's a little bit more centralized to the downtown, and uh, maybe market a little bit more to the local clubs." Yeah. All right, Peeps the Giant Cat. Why are why were Gulen and Kershko traded away? Uh, so first of all, who are these people, and then why were uh, they Tim, traded away? Tim Geeman got traded to the New England Free Jacks, and just because he saw the light and wants to win a championship in 2020. Um, I, got, I mean, you know, against the you know the SaberCats, go SaberCats. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I, I have no idea why. I just know that they were traded. Uh, but have you seen Rodrigo Silva and La Rome White? They playing good. On a very bad team. <laughs> SD Yeti. Will Holder. Sevens camp guy. SD Legion guy. A little bit of both? Question mark. Um, set, he's a world-class athlete program guy like Pat Blair. Uh, does he want to play 15s? I mean, he hasn't played like any 15s all year whether it was club with the Saracens when he was still in Seattle, he came down to San Diego uh, for his, I think, broadening assignment. I, I don't, we're not friends. I'm just looking at the career as an army officer uh, to make the Pan American game squad and then become a regular on the squad next year so that he could make the Olympics again. That's why he's there. So, uh, it, it really playing 15s wouldn't help him if he's trying to crack a really a much better I would say a much better team than when he was a part of it four years ago if that makes sense yeah I don't have anything to say on that subject Except on that one Conkey2195 who do you think is the better team at the moment San Diego or NOLA I'm going to go with NOLA uh, well I, I, I want to say Nola just because they've had like a, I feel like a more impressive season, but I think San Diego is peaking at just the right time, whereas Nola has had a few issues here and there. San Diego has beaten Seawolves twice. The second time, it was delicious. Um, we will find out next week because San Diego either travels or hosts New Orleans, so they they play each other twice in a three-week period. So. Uh, say me wants to know, J.P. Smith, Seawolves' newest utility back? Question mark? I mean, he played 10. Okay. Not horribly. Um, I guess the real question is, where is uh, Clarence White? I don't the, Their backup 10 that they signed from CWU, what what happened to him? Yeah. 
I guess it just depends what your definition of a utility back is. So, I mean, he's a versatile player, so I guess. Okay. WHS Jr. asks, with the talk of Dallas in 2021, is it possible that franchises, uh, that franchise is simply Austin relocated, or is there a separate ownership group in the works? So, I mean, as long as the Austin market is still seen as viable, there's a very vibrant rugby scene that, you know, it's constant, consistently voted as one of the best places to live in the United States. Uh, I don't think Major League Rugby would want to abandon, you know, a market like that. But at the same time, if the team isn't being successful, who knows what's going to happen. But as far as I know, there is a group of people um, trying to get things started in Dallas. So, um, you know, for right now, it is separate. Uh, yeah, it's going to be different. Uh, you know, if we want to talk attendance and all that stuff, San Diego, Utah, and Seattle being the Seattle being on top of those three. And we'll see with Toronto the rest of the season, but those are the three when it comes to having good attendance this year. So, and that was sort of the same last year. Um, everyone else is playing catch up. So I, I, as long as the Austin ownership wants to keep spending money, they're going to stay there. Um, that, that's how I think that's going to work. Um, All right. Last question of the night comes from YouTube. Uh, Steven Seller wants to know, does anyone know how and where semis will be played? Uh, I'm tracking that the semis will be at the top two seeded teams' home grounds. So right now the top two seeded teams are New Orleans and San Diego. So it would be at New Orleans, um, which currently for the semifinals is going to be the the Zephyron Airline, something like that. So it's a it's a baseball stadium that has. 11,000 seat capacity, um, but much better locker rooms. Apparently it's amazing. Um, and of course, Torero stadium. So that's what I'm tracking. And then I'm not really sure, but I think the top seeded winner of the semifinals hosts the game. Not sure, but I know that's what the semis are supposed to be. Well, thank you guys so much for a great week. Appreciate you uh, giving me the week off last week. So thank you for that. And uh, I sure will try to get this echo thing figured out before uh, we come back with you next Monday night. Um, get some blankets on the walls. Get some pillows. blankets. Yeah, have to. It'll be like a sixteen-year-old trying to put out a rap album. You know, just just totally pad it all up. Dude, maybe I could become a SoundCloud rapper. All I need is a face tap. To be yeah, sad. just. Some, you know, some reverb, some gain. Yeah, man, just do it up. <laughs> so on our way out, does anybody have uh, any thoughts, any final thoughts tonight? Uh, yeah, so beginning this Saturday morning, I will be hosting on Earful the Dirt Facebook uh, Saturday morning team juice. I will be giving you some uh, morning updates on the MLR games to come on Saturday and Sunday. And I will be recapping any Friday games that may have already happened. I will be doing that at 11, uh, 10 a.m. Uh, Central Time, 11 a.m. Eastern. So definitely t- tune in to Earful the Dirt on Facebook, uh, Facebook Live. 
will you, where you'll be able to join me as I uh, give you guys a good little preview because everybody likes to wake up and watch a little sports in the morning. Uh, ESPN kind of got us conditioned to it, so I want to do that for y'all. Aaron, any final thoughts tonight? Uh, no, just uh, enjoy the week. It's going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be some good games. I think we'll definitely see, you know, the, well, unless Glendale does a Glendale and kicks New York's ass instead of losing, um, we will see sort of the, the playoffs really solidified. All right. Well, uh, with that said, on our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs of our practices of Major League Rugby teams or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby. Liam Madigan-Fried is employed by the West Houston Lions and the Houston Sabercats. Be sure to tune in next week. We're live every Monday night here on YouTube and available on your favorite podcast platform every Wednesday morning. If you like what we do, please subscribe to our YouTube and iTunes feeds. It helps folks find us. And be sure to share your thoughts, uh, news, views, and abuse with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We will be back next week. Until then, go out and watch some rugby. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can share your thoughts with us via our voicemail by calling 720-600-2679. We're live again next Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you then.